So what are you doing this next week here? It's kind of the lull of the years, they call it. Well, um, I've got this thing that I've been kind of working on um, that I I do pretty regularly called a job. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. But holiday-wise, I mean, you go right from Christmas to New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day. I mean, you got that whole week in between of just dead space. A whole week of no holidays between the two? Well, not enough time to really plan. I mean, you're kind of recovering everything from Christmas, and then you got New Year's. Are okay. Are the type to do New Year's parties or anything like that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll probably go to a New Year's party. I don't know where yet. I've got a couple invites. but Yeah, yeah so you got all that time and nothing to do. I mean, you got the work thing, yeah, but come on, we're not talking about that. We're talking about fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what they call it. They, they have a word for it. It's just that time between Christmas and New Year's where there's, like, nothing. Uh, once again, I'm employed, <laughs> so I wouldn't consider that time nothing. No, where, there's where a term you go- for it. Where are you going with this one, Judd? That's it. There's, that- just, there's a term for it. I don't know the word, but... There's just- <laughs> Unemployed? No. (laughs) Forget it, forget it. Moving on. Okay. (laughs) You're saying like there's just a lull in the holidays? Not not in the holidays as in, you know, sequentially after another. Just as in, I mean, you've got a week between two major holidays. I mean, there's no time to recover from one to go into the next. You're right from Christmas. Yeah, you work a few days, then you got the weekend, then you go right into the next one. And you're trying to figure out the word for it? No, I'm just wondering what you're doing for that. <laughs> Why? What do you need, John? What do you need from me? <laughs> I think you, you're you're this, th- th- this is th- this is this is your like backwoods way of like trying to figure out what do you want? You need my tire machine, my no, welder. No, you need me to no. help you tow something? No, I'm, I'm good. What? <laughs> This whole thing just backfired. Forget it. <laughs> what, what are you? Where are we no, trying to go? It. That was it. That was the whole thing. Your entire idea to start off the show is to ask me about what I'm doing between two holidays. Yeah, there's seven days. It's like the shorter span between two major holidays. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> It's time to hit the trail, lock in those hubs, and throw it into low range. Because you are listening to Wheel It with Keith and Johnny Orange. Broadcasting from the Thin Line Off-Road Studio, they're here to talk about 4x4s, trucks, and everything to do with enjoying the great outdoors. Buckle up, here's your hosts, Keith and Johnny Orange. Uh, I, I okay, John. I don't get what that <laughs> that whole starter was about. Uh, well, you're supposed to play more into it. There's, I mean, that's like a thing. It's, I, I don't know any other way to do, explain. Do, okay, it. do some research, and next week tell me what the word is that you're trying to figure out. <laughs> no, it's not a word. I'm trying to figure out. There's just that's kind of a thing. Like, I can't explain. It. You okay? You okay, yeah, buddy? I'm right, I'm you right. okay? I swear it's just water in this mug. Uh-huh. You're welcome to try some if you like. It's cold water. Oh, my God. John. <laughs> okay, back on track. Back on track. Um, we were on track to begin with? We, we, well, okay, we weren't. <laughs> Let's get on track. All right. Did you see the video that I shared to the Museum of Off-Road Adventure Facebook page? I did. About the new Off-Road Museum. I did. 
Did you watch the video? I did. What'd you think? I loved it. I want to go. I think we all take a field trip. Me too. <laughs> that looks seriously awesome. Listeners, if you'd like to check this video out, you can go to Facebook and look up the Museum of Off-Road Adventure. Of course, we'd like it if you like our page. It's the museum that John and I and producer Andrew, who's back in studio, by the way. Yes, we're, uh, we're saved. Welcome back. <laughs> um, the weirdness is gone. So, Well, I'm here, so the weirdness this, is This is here. the museum that we are all involved in. And we can still proudly say that we are the first all-inclusive off-road museum. We are the Indeed. only all-inclusive off-road museum in North America. Mm. But another off-road museum has opened up, and it is quite impressive. Actually, if you watch through the video, he specifies multiple times four-wheel drive. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> a general- Actually, where is it off-road he specifies? Well, they throw some terms around strangely. There's a British gentleman that is interviewing the owner of this museum who's Middle Eastern. And Uh, this is all you for the pronunciation of this. Yes, specifically his his Royal Highness Sheikh Hamad bin Hamdan al Nahan. Okay. Uh, I think I got that right. Apologies, sir, if we got it wrong. Yeah. And uh, it didn't explain. You know, is his royal highness, so he, he must be royalty of some some sort. But mm-hmm. built this beautiful off road vehicle museum, and specifically, he is of the belief that only solid axle vehicles uh, be- belong in the museum. Although in the video they did show there are some independent suspension vehicles. He's got some Subarus. He has some um, mighty might Jeeps. Mm. Some things like that, but the majority of his collection, which is hundreds of vehicles, yes, are all solid axle, and I love it. <laughs> Four wheel drive, <laughs> I love it. Vehicles. He's got some seriously cool custom stuff: six wheel, eight wheel, and even a ten wheel drive custom truck. Yes, that thing's cool. There's, I don't know what in the world you would do with that, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has a very steampunk look to it. I yeah. know the one you're talking about. Highly recommend watching the video. The best way for you to find that video, like I said, go to the Facebook, um, look up Museum of Off-Road Adventure, like our page, scroll down a couple posts, you're going to see where we shared the YouTube video. There are, uh, I don't want to say a couple corrections, it's not ours to correct, but there are a couple mistakes that I noticed in the video. Specifically, they start off the video with what they call the world's first four-wheel drive vehicle, Mm. and they say it's the FWD truck. The FWD truck was the world's first mass-produced four-wheel drive vehicle, but uh, prior to that, there was the uh, Spiker uh, Hill Climb Racer in 1903, <laughs> which was the first four-wheel drive vehicle most historians agree on. And then after that, there was the uh, Lahner Porsche, which was the first publicly available a year <laughs> later, um, four-wheel drive, also the first hybrid vehicle. It was actually one of our... Uh, uh, trivia questions at Wheels in the Woods last year. I don't remember it. Yeah, it was. It was. That was uh, a busy day, though. <laughs> yeah, it was a very busy day. But uh, so the Sheik's Museum here. Uh, check out the video. Uh, there's it's some very cool. Yeah, it's a very interesting video, and it just kind of I got thinking when I watched the. It, it, okay, before we even talk about that. You know, of course, that little ping of jealousy comes out and it's like, okay, well, we were the first, and 
Now there's this one that just is way bigger than we are. I, I think he's probably got in the those cordoning ropes, like the little ratchet things that extend to block things off. I have no idea what you call them. I'm not doing well with words today, apparently. Like what we have around stanchions? the eagle. Yes, thank you. He's probably got more in stanchions than we have in the entirety of our museum <laughs> and everything it took us to get it started. <laughs> probably. And that's fine. Oh, yeah. Um, by all means, I wish him... The, the utmost of luck. It's in the United Arab Emirates, mm-hmm. so it's over in the Middle East. I'd love to go over and check it out someday. Are you allowed to travel on planes again? Am I allowed <laughs> to travel on planes? I'll have to find out. Or is that just Canada you were barred from for a while? <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> Story for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, awesome, awesome museum. And they just opened up. Um, the December, it looks like 19th or something like that is when they uploaded the YouTube video. Nice. Uh, so just recently, and it was four by Overland. So four X Overland um, is the one who uploaded it to YouTube. He's the gentleman that interviewed the Sheik, and he also claims that himself and I believe his wife were the first two by special invitation to view the museum. Lucky, very lucky. Yeah, absolutely. That is seriously cool. But okay, so back to what I was watching this video and. I started thinking about it. It's it's interesting to me that the sheik is so, you know, just one sided on the on the solid axle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's very he's like solid axle. Yeah. Only way to go. Boom. Yeah, you know. I can't say I disagree, but I see the place of the others in the off road world. A little bit. Yeah, little I do. I do too. Emphasis on a little, but I'm very pro solid axle myself. So. Yeah. I I got thinking. In the video, the interviewer, the the British gentleman, mm-hmm. keeps saying how a solid axle is better for ground clearance, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much his only. He does say durability a little bit, but he mm-hmm. doesn't really get into why a solid axle is the preferred mode of, you know, or, or preferred by off roaders. Mm-hmm. So. I thought today it would be interesting if you and I talked a little bit about the whole solid axle versus IFS, the pros and cons of running a solid axle, if there is any cons. But before I forget, I the 4X Overland YouTube page, he's trying to basically tell manufacturers, especially in North America, to bring the solid axle back. I support that 100%. And he's using (laughs) the hashtags, uh, hashtag only front solid axle and hashtag front solid axle and hashtag solid front axle. Mm. All three of those hashtags, and we'll try to share those in the show notes as well. He's saying that anytime you go off-roading in a solid axle vehicle, use those hashtags, and he wants people to be able to go to the manufacturers eventually and say look at here's how many enthusiasts want the solid axle especially the hashtag only front solid axle Mm -hmm. and he's hoping that we can get say like general motors who's almost abandoned the front solid axle um and other ones Mm -hmm. to give us more options i fully support that (laughs) along with like he said in the video bring the 70 series land cruiser which is still a solid axle diesel mm-hmm. SUV on body on frame construction. Yeah. 
bring it to North America. Was that one of the ones that's still being made, isn't it? It's still being okay. made for pretty much every other market except yeah. North America. Which is stupid. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's, it was the, when the Land Cruiser split off from, you know, if you look at that, that Land Cruiser tree you and I talked mm-hmm. about before, and when we do a Land Cruiser specific episode, we can bring that up again or even share it. When we got away from the 40 series Land Cruiser, they, it kind of split off into the luxury side where they started with the 55 Iron Pig and they mm-hmm. started with kind of the, the cushy SUVs and then off to the 70 side, which stayed the very truck-like utilitarian Land Cruisers. And the 70 series is still made today with, huh. it's been updated a little bit, but it really hasn't changed much since its introduction nice. 40-something years ago. And it's still probably one of the best-selling Land Cruisers in the world. We nice. don't get it in North America. And like I said, it's solid axle with a diesel engine and that a manual awesome. transmission. And Was that the one that he said in the video, I have a special one to show you? Yeah, the white yeah, one. Yeah, that was cool. Pretty cool vehicle. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that that's a a seventy series Troopy, where it's mm. got the the extended body, and you can put like a whole crew of people in the back of it. It's got like the ambulance style doors in the back, and nice, um, great, great like overlanding vehicle right there, like right right out of the package. Did you see that the Cummins truck for overlanding you had in there? With the two oh. spare tires. That was cool. There's some weird <laughs> stuff in that video yeah. as well. Some very weird stuff. I, I don't want to... I'm not going to... Well, to kind of talk about it gives away half the details. Should I mention it? I'll mention yeah, it. Yeah, mention it. So what they did, they, they took a, a Chevy, I think... Or Chevy. A Dodge Cummins 2500. And the guy said when he's going on these long overlanding trips, he likes to have two spare tires. So you're, you're in a truck, you have limited space, where do you put it? So they basically took a bed from another truck, turned it upside down, mounted it to the bed of that truck, and then fabbed up a uh, two mounts for spare tires on either side, and the top opens, and he said it's like a little patio. On the top, yeah. Yeah, and you can sit down for your tea or, you know, to have a couple drinks or something. I, I'm, whatever. I mean, that's awesome. Hey, whatever yeah. floats your boat. I love the idea. That's awesome. It looks kind of goofy. It looks a little redneck cool. engineered, but yeah. yeah. It's like something I would do. <laughs> okay. Uh, I love our, it. <laughs> so what is a solid axle? Uh, you know, if you're listening to this show, you I'm almost can almost guarantee you know what a solid axle is. So just brushing over it very quickly, a solid axle, as we've mentioned before, is a solid beam of an axle that connects one wheel to the other wheel. And you can have a solid axle on the front or the rear. Now or both. Or both. <laughs> Most trucks today, well, pretty much all trucks today still have a solid rear axle. Mm. Many, well, not that many. Actually, cars, the solid rear axle is pretty much going away, too. Most cars are IRS, independent mm-hmm. rear suspension. Cars were solid axle as well for many, many years in the rear. The big ones. The big ones. But, yeah. but your serious off-road vehicles... Were all solid front axle until the 1970s, when manufacturers started to put independent front suspension in the vehicles and get rid of the solid axle, so you don't have the solid yeah. beam in the front anymore. Now you have a solidly mounted differential to the frame that then goes to a arms or to coilovers 
or McPherson struts that hold up A-arms, which then have what are usually called CV shafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's other types they use, but the most common is CV shafts. So the driver front, driver, or passenger front, you know, your your tires can operate independently of each other, up and down. Um, so what that where that is, where a lot of people get confused, when one wheel goes up, the other wheel stays down, and vice versa. With a solid axle, one goes up, they kind of articulate together. Well, yeah, with a solid axle, one goes up, the other stays down. With an independent, one can go up and down while the other stays wherever it is. Yeah, I suppose I said that backwards. You do, yeah, you said it a little <laughs> bit backwards. It's been a long day. Sorry. There's advantages and disadvantages to both. Oh, yeah. But why is the solid axle... So preferred by offers. Is it tradition? Is it truly better? Is it, you know, cheaper? You know, what's the reason? You know, I know these reasons. Mm. You know, you probably know a good number of these reasons. Mm-hmm. What do you think, John, is the number one reason? Time and the fact that it's proven. I mean, they, they've been around a long time. They're they're solid. No pun intended the word solids in there in solid axle yeah i mean they're you know they're built strong most of them you know they're they're built to last and it's i mean my my biggest thing is they're simple yeah limited simple limited moving parts (laughs) yeah there's significantly more bushings and moving parts in an eye in an ifs way more complicated a lot more to go wrong a lot more to wear in the independent systems and when you have to replace it, it's a big job. You know, with a solid axle, you, you get a bad bushing, you can replace a control arm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can replace one ball joint. Exactly. You, know, you, you recommended to do them in pairs. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can replace by component. You don't have to replace half the assembly. And you don't have to tear half the thing apart to do it. That's what I hate. I'm, I'm spending so much time working on some things that... I don't want any more. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. so the reason, I guess, backing up to why manufacturers started going to IFS, there's a number of people over the years that have made the claim that it was cheaper for manufacturers to do that, which is not necessarily the truth. No, I'd, I mean, if it were me answering that question, it, it comes down to ride comfort. You're translating a lot less noise and vibration into the cab because, you, like you said, you've got multiple bushings that absorb most of that, and it just makes for a better on-road ride quality. There's a, li- there's a little bit of that, although I think a lot of people would argue with you that a coil spring solid axle front vehicle rides significantly better than many, say, torsion bar, uh, say, GM style. Yeah, I IFS would agree with front. that. Um, you know, for example, my old... Chevy Silverado 3500 with the plow package torsion bars mm-hmm. had four inches of articulation. It rolled like a dump truck in the front. Oh, yeah. It's built to handle a plow, man. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was still independent front suspension, and it just had no True, flex. Yeah. It was a very stiff setup. The, the main reasons that manufacturers started going to IFS was for two reasons. It weighed less than a solid axle. Mm-hmm. And they could lower the front of the vehicle, both of which in the late 1970s during the fuel crisis days mm-hmm. g- returned better fuel mileage. All right, yeah, that makes sense. 
There's, there's, it's amazing how much is derived from that time. Yes, that's still in use or in play today with that. I know we've discussed different things of that before in the jeeps. That's I, I never would have even considered that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's not a person out there that can make the argument that a solid axle vehicle is going to get better fuel <laughs> mileage. No, than a independent front suspension vehicle. No, that reminds me though of. Uh, I'll, I'll pull the link up later. Something we'll have to discuss talking solid axles and fuel mileage. Well, even so we'll, yeah, we'll get to that later. Even <laughs> under vehicle drag, yeah, with an IFS system, you where you can tuck the differential up next to the oil pan of the engine. Mm-hmm. Where in a solid axle, it's one more thing. You know, like that old meme. I don't know if you've ever seen it, um, and I always love it every time I see it. It shows a cow in a wind tunnel yeah. and a Jeep Wrangler in a wind tunnel. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Thing. It says, "This is the Jeep Wrangler, less aerodynamic than a cow." Yep, and it's true. <laughs> it is very true. A little bit of breeze, and I feel that thing move. Yeah, <laughs> when I can drive it. So, you know, those those are some of the reasons why they did it. Mm. So why would people still want to stay with the old technology? You know, it's it, is it, you know, if people always said, I want to stay with old technology, you'd have a million people wanting to still use a rotary phone. I mean, I'd be all right with that. <laughs> I know how, how do you play Angry Birds on, on a rotary phone? Well, you sit at that, you try to dial, and then when you miss dial, you throw something at a bird <laughs> outside the window. For example, you pick the phone up, whip it through the window, you hit a bird, boom, Angry Birds. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'd, I'd i'd have another thought on that uh you know most of the guys that are going to go off-road with it want to build it more suspension more lift it's way cheaper and easier to lift a solid axle than an independent yes it is because if it's a leaf spring front it might be as simple as doing a spring over yeah. axle conversion which you can do in most vehicles for less than 500 dollars in parts oh yeah um or it could be as Simple as just taller leaf springs or taller coils for the front. Which, or the B word, which I don't think is legal uh, in a front axle application anyways. Oh, blocks? Yeah. No, but yeah. No blocks it. in the front. Hate them. But uh, it's it's a way that you can you can lift this vehicle oh, yeah. fairly See, cheaply. We're in an IFS. And not have to change every single thing about what you're doing. Yeah, in an IFS <laughs> vehicle, if you're going to lift it more than, say, two inches, mm. you're now looking at lowering the solidly mounted front differential. Yep, or aftermarket is, axle shafts. Or aftermarket which, axle again, shafts. Again, you're talking expensive. And the differential's hanging lower. You may have to yep. change your spindles, your A-arms. There's a whole, basically re- replacing oh, yeah. your whole front suspension. Exactly. I mean, there's companies that make just the the knuckles to drop it down. But again, you're talking expensive. You know, those parts are not cheap to make because of all the different things that go into them. Yes. And it sucks. <laughs> but, you know, the older ones, like I said, they're, they're kind of proven. They're a lot cheaper to work with. Yes. So. Well, I think we need to separate out and talk about a couple of different classes here of what would be you know, that we should talk about in the IFS versus solid axle. One, I think, is the durability factor. Mm -hmm. The other is usability factor, besides just the suspension part of it that we talked about. My bad. Yep. You pulled a cord there? No, I bumped it. Um, I think I did. And then, what I say, durability, and what was the first one I just said? 
Um, Your cord distracted me. I know. Me too. I'm sorry. That's all right. You know, how about we take a quick break here and we'll kind of get that together and come back and go over all of it. All right. Okay. Hey, it sounds like it's time to swap out that old engine for something better, John. Yeah, man, but I have so much into my trans and transfer case set up already. I don't want to change those two. Sounds like you need to call Quick Draw Brand Adapters. They specialize in conversion bell housings for nearly all diesel and gasoline engines, including the new 2.8R Cummins. You know, I like weird engines, though. I want something different. Then you definitely need to visit quickdrawbrand.com today. They have those hard-to-find parts. They also have used diesel engines available. You can call them at 513-446-9654. Cool, I'll do that. See what they have. Thanks. Welcome back to Wheeling with Keith and Johnny Orange. Today we're talking about solid axles versus independent suspension. Yeah, and those three categories before we stumbled a little bit to a technical error. (laughs) Yeah, again, my bad. We need to talk about the durability factor, the serviceability factor, and the off-road capability factor yes. of the three. Which one of those three you want to talk about first? Hmm. Let's go serviceability. Serviceability. It's yeah. pretty simple. Yeah. Get the technical stuff out the way. IFS. My favorite part. <laughs> bo- both IFS and solid axles, for the most part, can be serviced with your regular garage hand tools. Yeah. Alignments are a little more difficult with an independent uh, that's but, exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, your alignments are a little bit more difficult. Yeah. At least a garage alignment. Yeah. You're probably not going to be doing it with a tape measure and some chalk. No. No. Which you can <laughs> do. A solid axle, especially a trail-only rig. Oh, yeah. Quite often, you can do your toe in, your toe out, which is the only part. That's yeah. one of the things. You don't do your caster and camber. A lot of vehicles, that's fixed on anyways or non-adjustable. Yes. And there's... I don't remember the ratio, but after a certain ratio, it starts to be with a wider tire. It's a tire width ratio, whatever it is. It becomes less and less important, the caster and camber. It deals more with just toe. You can somewhat adjust your caster and camber in a solid axle, depending on yes. you know yeah. wedges in the front with springs. Yeah. Uh, you can do offset ball joints, things like Something that. Like some of the Wranglers will have an adjustable piece on the back lower control arm. Which of three or four Jeeps I've ever worked on, only one has ever had those brackets. I've never had a single other one that's had the adjustable oh. brackets on it. I've I've seen them. Yeah. You know, my last job, I, I ordered them for customer vehicles, but I've never owned one that had it. They've well, been taken one. off and discarded or whatever? No, they were off factory, huh. as was. They never had them. They, that black Jeep I parted out is the only one I've ever seen that had them. Oh, okay. None of the three Jeeps I've owned and part of the one I parted out had them. It was the weirdest thing. Okay. So I thought it was a factory thing, but apparently not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the ring and pinion serviceability in both is going to be the same specific tools, uh, yeah. bearing pullers, things like that. So the advantage to the, the solid axle, it's a little easier to pull the whole thing if you need to adjust that than it is a independent. Yeah, you had to remove it or wanted to to do it on a bench versus crawling under it all the time. Well, let's say let's talk about serviceability from an off-road standpoint. So mm-hmm. you're off off-roading and you bust an axle shaft, which is the most common thing that people do in an axle. Most common axle failure mm. is is breaking an axle shaft. I've done both in both types of vehicles, IFS and in solid axles. 
many IFS vehicles, replacing the axle shaft requires popping some ball joints. Yeah. Requires dismantling the whole spindle assembly, where most solid axle vehicles, you're taking off your brakes, you're taking off your spindle and your hub, and you can slide out the whole axle shaft and you can replace one. Yeah. In, say, Dana axles, which are one of the most popular axles for off-roaders to Mm -hmm. use in the front, a seasoned off-roader can usually replace a Dana axle shaft in a half an hour or less. Sounds about right. Off-road, where many IFS vehicles, you might be talking an hour to two-hour job. Or more. Yeah, per side. Yeah. And so that's, that's a big... Pain in the uh, backside. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. something else we didn't mention. Well, no, we can talk about that in the off-road ability portion of it. Mm. So that that's your serviceability. Is there anything else on serviceability that you had? I mean, that, that's pretty much it. You know, the solid axle by nature is going to be more exposed. So if you need to get around to clean it or adjust something, you're going to have a lot more area to work on it than an independent where everything's all tucked up under the undercarriage. Very true. And depending on the vehicle, uh, after say, doing some creek crossings or something like that where you may have gotten water into your differentials. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Many IFS front differentials, are, it's very difficult to flush the fluids out of them. Yeah. Where the majority of your solid axles have either a drain and a fill port mm-hmm. or the entire differential cover comes off easily so yeah. you can spray out with some brake clean and clean out the inside and of the axle. And properly capture and dispose of the oils, of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> you can you can do that. So yeah. that's a, a big advantage for serviceability, oh, yeah. too, for an off-roader. Yeah. Going into what do you want to do next? you want to do drivability or do you want to do... Yeah, you go with or off-road capability, or I mean, off-road capability. Well, let's roll into the off-road and then yeah. end with the driving on the road. Well, and they, there's some crossover between the two. Mm-hmm. One of the things with a solid axle versus a, you know, the IFS, like you said, may have more car ride for on the road. Mm-hmm. So that could be an advantage of IFS. Properly tuned solid axle with the right coil springs or the right leaf springs in the front can give you very similar. Oh, yeah. You know, they've been using them for 100 years. Mm-hmm. You know, like they said in that video that we talked about earlier, when you're off-road with a solid axle, instead of having this, like with the IFS, where you have the solid mount differential chunk in the front that acts as a plow. I remember <laughs> like my old 93 Jimmy when it had IFS and I eventually went to a solid axle. Mm-hmm. It would be plowing all the mud or snow that I was going through right up into that front differential assembly. Yeah. Where in a solid axle, you go over an obstacle and it pushes your whole suspension away from that obstacle and your yeah. ground clearance for the most part increases. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, that, that's a big advantage there. Yeah. The other nice thing, you can actually gain more ground clearance. I don't know how familiar you are with the portal boxes. Oh, geez. Those are cool. They are becoming more and more popular as of late. And so what a portal is, it essentially adds another gear reduction and it, it, it drops the mount. Kind of weird to explain it without demoing. But basically, it requires you run a larger wheel, 
but it in, it can increase your ground clearance was like five six inches with some of those kits depending on the system yeah five to eight inches yeah. and your suspension stays the same i mean like i said you got to get bigger wheels but you end up with a significant amount of ground clearance and again changing your you know overall effective ratio with that thing but they're very expensive yeah so. if you're going to go with portals the you're either going to be talking swapping into your rig uh the most popular is unimog yeah they have uh, portal axles. I think Mopar actually has a factory kit for that too. It's probably sold through Axle Tech or something like that now. I'm curious to look at. I thought Go ahead, it was look a, at it. Yeah, yeah I thought it, it was a Mopar option. But yeah, some of your foreign military options, your Unimog, your Pinsgauer, uh your I'm trying to remember what the third one would be. But there was there was some German options that had these portal axles. Yeah. For the American side of things, our Humvees, which are IFS and RIRS, use a portal box at each wheel to tuck your independent suspension up even further. And that's why the Humvees have the best ground clearance of any independent suspension vehicle. All right. So here's real quick. This is an, an article from 2012 uh, from Four Wheeler Magazine. Yeah, let me scroll down here. Uh, I'm just going to read this this part of it. So it says, as we go to press, Mopar has announced it will be selling a set of axles for 12.5 for the front and 11k for the rear for two for bolt-in axles. With uh, it increases ground clearance by five inches. Wow! Good lord. Uh, those they're probably sourced through. Somebody such as... It said in the beginning here, uh, three years ago, we showed you Axletech's bolt-on portals for Dana 6 Street Carpet 14. Wondering if they ever go mainstream. Uh, Recently had a chance to drive a JK with portal axles, nearly identical to what Mopar will be offering. Hmm. Keep talking. I'm going to read this. Do some more research. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, do some more research on that, John. I'd I'd like to see what, you know... If they're indeed offering that, or if it if it ever was if it was something that just kind of died on the vine there, yeah. Oh, we keep talking here. It gives me a part number. I'll Google that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you know, so then I guess off road capability, like you said, it's serviceable. It it's easy. It's durable. And then you know you've got that articulation factor in it. Yeah. What else were we missing? We said we were going to talk about durability, uh, drivability. Oh, drivability. Yep. So, you know, going down the road in a really a properly set up suspension vehicle, either way, it's going to be a comfortable riding vehicle. Mm. But your fuel mileage is going <laughs> to be bye worse. Bye. Than, yeah, in a solid <laughs> axle vehicle, typically. Yeah. To, yeah, I mean, it's, it, can't, it doesn't have to be terrible. You were just telling me that the new Wrangler with a solid axle has got. With some, an eco diesel. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's the 2020 Wrangler. And it becomes America's most efficient Wrangler at 29 miles to the gallon. I don't know if that specifies if it's the two-door or the four-door would be the only thing. I can't imagine that two more doors are going to drop the fuel mileage greatly, though. I wouldn't think that much, but, I mean, it. it, it, it uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's some extra weight. And yeah. yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. The, there. the only downside, it's not offered with the manual transmission with oh, the diesel, ouch. which sickens me. 
Ouch. Yeah. It's Jeep, what are you doing, man? Uh, or guys. We should start our own thing. Hashtag bring back the stick. Save the manuals. Yeah, I like that better. Hashtag save the manuals. What I just said. Probably already <laughs> exists. Probably. Yeah. So go just quit googling these part numbers. It looks like it may be discontinued already. Mind you, that article is also from 2012. So either they're discontinued or the part numbers that I found are superseded to something else that it's not giving me yet. <laughs> gotcha. However, if that's you, are you going that's to it. are you going down a Google rabbit hole over there? No, it's Bing. Bing, <laughs> that still exists. Oh God, yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna stop looking because it is taking me to some cheap price options, and if that's the right thing, I might have to find a way to get it. <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> need, to, need to work on your budget buddy yeah i gotta get one of those yeah <laughs> anywho anywho <laughs> so solid that you know the solid axle really reigns king i i don't know that we have done a a great job right now of just really telling our listeners why you know we're, we're kind of giving them pros and cons but i you know I guess let's well, talk for, for every build. You're going to have a, you know, a different necessity. Sure. You know, if you're building something that's going to be exclusively off-road, you're not going to want independent. No. I mean, if you're building that, you know, big, tall tires, a lot of torque, a lot of stress and strain on the parts, you want something that's solid and reliable. If you're driving something that's a daily driver, you can get away with building an IFS or IRS vehicle at that point. So really, you know, the advantage to the individual just is what you're building. True. <clears throat> I mean, if you're driving something that's, you know, a mall crawler, you know, sh something for show, then you might not need the reliability and strength of a solid axle for it. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that we didn't mention with the solid axles is front end weight capability, which is not something people normally would think about. Mm -hmm. But in an off-road vehicle where you may be considering mounting 190 pounds worth of winch on the front, another, you know, 50 pounds of an off-road bumper, or even if you're just mounting a snowplow. Yeah. All of those things put a lot of strain on an IFS vehicle oh, yeah. and messes up your, your alignment. Yeah. Where on a solid <laughs> axle vehicle, you might lower the front due to the weight a little bit, but your alignment stays the same. Yeah. So you don't really mess up your alignment on a solid axle vehicle. Which by, translates to better handling, more consistent steering, you know, when you're driving at faster speeds. Yeah. Obviously a good thing. You don't want to be just randomly rolling into the guy next to you. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, and something else, this is this seems to be a, a minor thing, but tire wear Mm. on an IFS versus a solid axle vehicle. A properly set up solid axle vehicle, the front tires will wear very, very evenly. Yeah. Where an IFS vehicle, especially in a pickup truck capacity where you're constantly changing the load in the back of it, so like say you actually use your truck. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, you know, my my mom's family of companies, you know, formerly my dad's has passed away, but my mom's family of companies, they use a bunch of trucks, work trucks, where they constantly are varying the loads in the back of these trucks mm -hmm. from you know being completely unloaded and all the way to maybe you know five thousand pounds in the back yeah and what happens is the tires wear out on the inside and outside edges mm -hmm. because when the vehicle's loaded heavy in the rear now the tops of the tires are you know basically pointed outwards yeah 
your camber's outwards, and then as the vehicle unloads, the camber's inward, and now you're wearing on the other side of the tire. So they're solid axle. You know, they have a Ford truck that has a solid axle. Mm-hmm. They have a uh, heavy-duty Dodge with a solid axle. They don't have those tire wear problems that their independent suspension, mm-hmm. GM, and uh, light-duty Dodges have. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's something to, con- to consider as well. Oh, yeah. But um, I remember I used to be a... I don't know, for whatever reason, I thought IFS was the way of the future. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember as a young man, late 90s, early 2000s, starting to get into wheeling. And I remember getting into very heated arguments with some of my wheeling buddies about hmm. thinking IFS could be the way. And I think with the proper money and technology put into it, it could be. Sure. In many ways. But, you know, one of the attestments that I, that I think about here is, how many kits are on the market to remove the IFS from a vehicle and put a solid axle in it? But how many kits are on the market to remove the solid axle from a vehicle and put IFS in it? I'm not aware of a single one. <laughs> Boom. That should tell you something right yeah. there. Yeah. That should tell you something right there. You know, and th- this episode's not about what are the best front solid axles. We've talked about no. that back in episode eight, the eight yeah. lug axle options. If you remember that episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can think back that far? Yeah. Remember it. Episode 8, we talked 8 lug axles, Dana 60s. Oh, okay. 44s. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's take a quick, uh, quick break, John, and then I think when we come back, we maybe have some 4x4 news. Yeah, I got a little bit. Sure. No. All right. See you in a bit. Have you heard the good news? Now there's a local paper that people just can't seem to get enough of. It's the Thumbprint News. The Thumbprint News is free and full of interesting stories that focus on what's important in our lives. Stories that touch on this area's rich history, unique places, and the diverse cultures and people. You'll be in the know when you read the Thumbprint News. Go to thumbprintnews.com and read the paper online for free today. So, you know, we were just talking at break there about some of the other pros and cons of solid axles. And one of the things, John, that we didn't mention is... Tire clearance, where in an IFS vehicle, I think we've mentioned before how it can be very expensive to lift an IFS vehicle for proper tire clearance, you know, going to, say, a 33, 34, Mm -hmm. 35, or today's most popular size for pretty much all off-road vehicles. And the same thing, this is episode 37, is the (laughs) 37-inch tire. Nice. My 33s are a thing of the past. Well, you know, and I had thought, what you're telling me? I had thought about <laughs> Yeah, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. I thought that maybe we should do like a 37-inch tire tire guide or something, but the, the reality is is it's not re- the tire guide episodes are cool, but it, they, it's more general information though cuz that's I mean there's so much personal preference that goes into that and what you're doing. And the tread patterns are yeah, are the same that's, across the board. Doesn't yeah. matter the size whether it's yeah. 35 or 40. <laughs> yeah. But the 37 is the new 35, mm-hmm. you know, or the, even the new 33, because in the 90s, the 33 was the go-to big off-road tire. I still like my 33s. I don't care what you <laughs> tell me. I don't care. And then the 35 <laughs> started to become king for a while. Yeah. Now it's the, and then the 37 kind of now became the off-road tire of choice 
for people who still daily drive their rigs, and then the 40 is the trail-only rig yeah. tire. So, Can you imagine the day when a 54 is the new 33? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it'll be great. That'll be cool, but that'll be some expensive rubber. <laughs> it will be. Whew. It will be. I, I took a picture once. We were down, uh, my dad and I heading home from Florida, and we stopped into a four-wheel parts store, like an actual brick-and-mortar store. Yeah. As I just wanted to go. And I'd love to go. It was cool. They had a 54-inch tire standing there, and I had my dad stand next to it, took a picture, sent it to my mom, said, hey, look, I got new tires for the Jeep. Nice. She thought I was serious. She was not happy. She told them they were for her Jeep because your mom's like, what, like three and a half feet tall? She didn't tall? have one yet. Oh. So I, I was the only one at that time with Jeeps. Mm, okay. So, yeah, she that, that actually, I think, predates uh, Pegasus. There you go. I don't remember what year that was. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> well, hmm. so, yeah, let's do a 37-inch tire, which is about the most popular thing right now. Solid axle vehicle. Most solid axle vehicles, you can fit a 37-inch tire with maybe a 4- or 5-inch lift, which is a pretty yeah. reasonable cost lift kit to and buy. And relatively little or no fender trimming, too. True. Yeah. Where an IFS vehicle, you you may have to still do that 4-, or 5-, 6-inch lift, but a 4-, or 5-, 6-inch lift for an IFS vehicle... <laughs> Expensive. You're talking like $1,200 minimum. Hello, subframe kit. <laughs> yeah, minimum um, yeah. or a ton of body you know, clearancing and... You're going to get to know that Sawzall really well. And most <laughs> IFS vehicles, because of the way they design the frames on them, and you know they're trying to go for the, the fuel mileage, Yeah, the, the suspension sits tighter to the firewall, so mm-hmm. you can only cut so much. Yeah, That was one of the things I figured out on my uh, S10 Jimmy, was that to keep the center of gravity low and go with a bigger tire, because I ran 36s and then eventually 38s on it. Mm-hmm. I had to move the axle about five inches forward from Ooh. where the original center line of the IFS differentials Jeez. were. Now, did you do a solid axle kit with that, or you just made it work with what was there? No, I, I solid axle swapped that, Jimmy. So oh. I, I wheeled that with 33 uh, Goodyear MTRs mm-hmm. for about two years on an IFS front end. Okay. Um uh, young man learning i had done what they called the budget lift the budget s10 lift where i'd flipped the ball joints i'd cranked the torsion bars i never actually bought a lift kit for it but i was able to gain about an inch and a half two inches out of the i would imagine it rode like garbage though it was it wasn't too bad because i had a, a worn 8274 winch oh, okay. on the front so it so, kind of yeah, made, made up for the yeah okay and then um I went and I did a three-inch body lift on it, which I should have never what is done. Wrong with you? I know, I know. Well, you said you were younger, you yeah. were learning. So, so when I went to the solid <laughs> axle, I pulled the body lift out. It went back down good, to its original good. frame height, and then what I did was I, I looked up what the kits were. The kits were pretty reasonable online, but at the time I belonged to a message board, which we haven't talked about message boards in a while. No, but I, I, I talked to the old. I belonged to the old S10 Extremist board, which I we've discovered is now gone apparently. Mm. Um, but the guys on there had, you know, told how to do a junkyard solid axle swap on those oh, nice. with very little manufacturing and welding. And yeah. so at the time I was just kind of learning how to do welding and fabrication of frame components, mm-hmm. but I kind of followed somebody else's build and modified it a little bit myself and did a nice. junkyard solid axle swap. And, and I drove that nice. for thousands of miles on that solid axle mm-hmm. street manners were great now let me ask you this if you remember that far back do you remember how those components looked when you pulled out the ifs stuff 
as far as you know all the bushings blown out or overstretched or anything or did they look relative i'm just curious wheeling that long on bigger tires from oh i i see no i do remember and that was the reason i started the solid axle swap and i was kind of talked into it because i was wheeling with our mutual buddy lucas you know mm-hmm. And he had, of course, Jeeps, which were all solid axle. Yeah. And he was like... He was smart. Yeah. And he was like, solid axle, solid axle, solid axle. And so I had taken the Jimmy um, on my honeymoon when I I was married, Mm -hmm. and we had driven it up into Maine and all over the place on IFS with the 33s. Nice. And I had already done the manual swap. It had the MV4500 five-speed in it and everything. By the time we got back, my front end wobble and vibration, and I didn't really have death wobble, but I had front end issues, mm-hmm. was so bad. And I got the thing into the garage. And at the time, it had, I want to say the Jimmy had maybe around 160,000 miles on it. Okay. And I got up there and I started realizing that it needed ARM bushings, it needed ball joints, it needed tie rod ends, it basically needed every replaceable component for mm-hmm. it. it even needed maybe one cv shaft Jeez. <laughs> so i went and i added up all the parts to it and by the time i would have bought good quality say moog or spicer parts mm-hmm. not just you know real cheapy box store stuff yeah. but it bought quality parts i was going to be looking at about 900 dollars mm-hmm. for everything to rebuild the front end and i started doing the math and i said well you know i can go to the junkyard and i can get a solid axle at the time once again, young man, not really understanding mm-hmm. um, a lot of stuff about off-road. I bought a, a YJ Dana 30, which is like the okay. worst Dana 30 ever because the vacuum disconnect yeah, and all that. Much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it was high pinion and all that. Yeah. And that's what a lot of guys on that S10 Extremes board were running was the YJ Dana 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a start. So I bought a YJ Dana 30 for like 100 150 bucks. Nice. And brought it back and started my solid axle swap. Now... This is where I lock, lucked out because, um, like I said, I was I had built the spring components, the hangers, all that, um, had welded all that together myself. I was in it with the steel that I had bought because I didn't have scrap, enough scrap steel to make mm-hmm. it work, so I had to actually buy some pieces of steel. I was in the thing for maybe two or three hundred bucks hmm. when I stumbled upon. Uh, a 1978 Ford truck with Dana 60s front and rear huh. for, I don't know, three or 400 bucks, something cheap. Mm-hmm. First Dana 60 I ever owned, bought that whole truck, ripped the axles out of it. The rear went into Lucas's Jeep. The front went into my Jimmy. Nice. And so I ended up never running it on the Dana 30 that yeah. I only had kind of mocked in there. It must have been not long before I met you because I remember that that Jimmy. That that's when you had the thirty-eight and a half inch TSLs yes. on, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. I, it's rear springs live on in Project XJ. You've mentioned that on this podcast a couple I know. times. <laughs> I'm proud <laughs> so of that. <laughs> I uh, I took and I uh, swapped the Dana sixty in it, and then I put a Dana seventy in the rear of it, and wheeled the wheel out of that thing for probably five years. It was nice. it was a great setup. It and I had now granted I stumbled upon. The the Holy Grail Dana 60, the yeah. 78, 79 <laughs> Kingpin F. Nice. No, normally it's $1,000 axle. Yeah. But after rebuilding that axle and doing all the swap, I'm not going to count the gears and locker because I, I that was an upgrade. Mm-hmm. But before I did the gears and locks, I went to 513s in a Detroit in the front. Oh. But if before I did that, I had less money that it would have cost me to do a 
uh, rebuild of my IFS oh, I believe it. front. So I fully believe it. Now I'm I'm curious with that is I I've seen some of these solid axle swap kits. What does it do with the the lower cross member? Do you just cut the the mount components out and leave it there to still support the engine and all that, or is there like a well, in the junkyard version, how would you do that? Well, it depends completely on the original engine or the original vehicle design. Mm-hmm. Some of the vehicles, you can just torch out the cross member and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. And that's in the case of the S10. Okay. You can, once you make the new front cross member that mounts your springs, mm-hmm. that does the cross, and most of the GM ones are like that. You make this kind of front spring hanger. Mm-hmm. To mount both front leaf springs, if you're going with leaf springs, yeah, and now you can just torch out the other cross nice. member underneath the engine, and it works. I like it. Other ones, some of the Toyotas and some of the other uh, Nissan swaps, you have to basically make a new engine cradle mount or side motor mount. Yeah. So you have to change your motor mounts up. So there, it's, it's a little off topic. I know. I'm just purely curious on that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's a little bit more involved than just a simple swap in some cases yeah so but you know just by definition of what you're saying you had less into doing all of that than it would have been to rebuild that front end as a stock setup yeah the the thing is though with the solid axle swap you're gonna have a lot of money if you ask a shop to do it for oh you. yeah so this is this is <laughs> this is something where you have to be willing to get a little greasy a little dirty and you need to yeah. learn a little bit and maybe own some torches or at least a a metabo and a grinder yep i've worked for years with that I only got a torch set even a couple years ago, and it completely changed everything yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I did not have a plasma but, back then. I did it yeah. with a torch and a grinder. and I, I still, I mean, I have a plasma. I don't have what I need to use it yet, but I'm still using just regular angle grinder, bench grinder, and a torch. Yeah. And, I mean, with you know, we did that in the tool episode. You can do a lot with very little. You can. You it can. just takes more time. You can. But you, you learn skills with that that translate to a lot more, too. You know, it's when I first started grinding, I couldn't cut a straight line to save my life. <laughs> now I can. Well, hey, you know. It sounds stupid, but, you know, you, you, you mark it, you try and cut along it, you can't always see the edge, you're going to kind of get a little wavy, and I can cut a pretty decent straight line, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, John, to finish this thing up, I know we're kind of running long on time, but 4x4 News, which we usually kind of do towards the middle mm-hmm. of the episode, but we kind of push back. We did talk about Wrangler announcing the 29-mile-per-gallon <clears throat> yeah. Wrangler. Um, personal 4x4 News, uh, do you got anything quickly without talking about antennas or bar pin eliminators? Yes, yes. So I, I got Pegasus back together with okay. the new clutch. Clutch is great. Noise is still there. So I have to rip it all apart again and rip the trans apart. Yeah, you got to find those other walnuts. Yep. And <laughs> if I get too upset with it, it's going to see the other side of a hammer. Uh, I hope tr- not. The trans? Yes. Or the whole Jeep? Possibly both. Oh, okay. I'm very upset about it. Okay. Very angry with it. And then uh, I did some work done Project XJ today. So I got the first layer of the, the rust conversion paint done. So that is drying right now. We've had a little bit of little warm weather spurt, so I wanted to get that done. Mm-hmm. So I can get some more of the floor fabrication done and 
start actually making some more progress on it. It's been stagnant for a little too long. So. Yeah, no, I, I know <laughs> And that's feeling. about it. <laughs> okay. Well, my personal 4x4 projects, I actually did a little bit of work this week, thankfully. <laughs> Finally, it's been forever. It's it's very minor, but mm-hmm. I had a customer that uh, needed some ring and pinions out of some Land Cruiser axles. Oh, nice. And I knew that the axle I blew up in Project Brat Pack, uh, mm-hmm. or, Brat, you know, hashtag Brat Pack FJ60, was uh, going to need at least a carrier and a cross pin and some spider gears. Mm-hmm. So I, or not the spider gears, carrier and a cross pin. I, well, I, I had a, I don't want to call it a virgin axle, but I had a, a really clean FJ60 axle that had been gone through a mm-hmm. number of years ago. And so when I took that apart to salvage the ring and pinion for the customer, I took all the other parts that I was going nice. to need, and they're sitting on my bench now, ready to be nice. installed in the back of the Brat Pack FJ60. Nice. So, yeah, I did. I didn't directly work on the FJ60, but I started to acquire some parts for it, and yeah. hopefully in the next week or two here, at least after the first of the year, I'm going to pull apart that rear axle, start there, nice. and then start with some of the body work that it needs. Yeah. I did have one other sort of minor update. I, I replaced the blower motor and resistor again in Pegasus and oh, the connector okay. again. Okay. Yeah, they, they, the TJs tend to burn through those. Mm. It's not fun. I haven't I haven't <laughs> read anything in, in national or world news besides the opening of that off-road museum. I want to go so bad. Yeah, it's got some cool stuff. It would be man. very, very cool. I, uh, you know, our sponsor, Chad at Quick Draw, I spoke with him the other day. He doesn't have any big product announcements this week, although he did tell me that ever since he started doing those package deals on the R2.8 Cummins Mm -hmm. with his adapter, that whole package has been just flying off the shelf. People have been... And I asked him, so are you going to keep that? Because I think he's like 7900 bucks or something for the engine with the adapter. It's like insane. Awesome. I, might, I might be mis, misquoting that, but he's, yeah. he's very low. And uh, he said that, well, after the first of the year, he's going to be re-looking at things. But mm-hmm. if somebody wants to call pretty quickly. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not plugging it for him, but I, I just. Oh, I will. If you want to get in on that deal, take advantage of it while you can. That's an awesome deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well under ten grand, yeah. and you've got the two point eight with a quick draw yeah. adapter, and he can sell you either a Tremec or an AX fifteen trans brand new, yeah, and, and you that's can, awesome. So that is seriously awesome. Everything you need to drop into your new rig. AX fifteen, you say? Yeah, you may have to talk to him. Yep, <laughs> very <laughs> possible. I should know in the next few days. <laughs> well, buddy, uh, I I can't think of anything else right now. Do you I got have? Nothing. I, I want to throw this out here. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, you, no, you, look you, at, you finish first. I was going to say, I'm, we're always looking for suggestions. We've been getting some good feedback from people. If we, if anybody says, hey, we've had this in the past, and it's been probably a month or so since somebody suggested an episode to us. If somebody says, hey, I want to hear more about this particular product or this particular you know, part of off-roading or even the history of this vehicle or history of this part, give us a shout out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, you know, through Twitter or through Wheelin on Facebook or through the 4x4 Talk page, say we want to just reach out somehow. Absolutely. And Let say, hey, we'll look into it. Um, not that we're running out of ideas. We still have 100 ideas that we want to do, but we want to do things that the listeners are interested in. Yeah, what you guys want to hear. So if you've got something and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, 
I, I'd love to hear about this, then yeah, And know. if you have a chance, whatever service you're going through to listen to us, throw us a like and a comment, and we'll, you know, if we see it, we'll mention you on the air. There is, there is one other thing that I think that this is, a, this is an appropriate place to put it, even though we have it online as well. Mm-hmm. The Museum of Off-Road Adventure that we spoke about earlier, that we speak about on almost every single episode, this is going to be part of our museum minutes, and maybe we can finish it off with this unless you have something else today, John. Comment on that, on the museum, and the, uh, as far as the Christmas tree walk stuff. Yeah. So, But I'll, I'll let you go first. Here. Oh, okay. Um, January 6th. The museum, and this is at the museum location at 6 p.m., the museum has its annual um, board meeting that is open to the public, and we are going to be discussing a a few different issues, one being uh, potential treasure position opening up here. But uh, January 6th, it is open to the public at the museum location in Clay Township, Michigan at 6 p.m. at January 6th, 2020. So if anybody's interested in attending that public meeting, we have put public announcement through our social media pages. But, you know, you can also listen to us on Wheeling and say, hey, I'm going to go to the museum. Yeah. But, uh, John, you said you had something else about the museum? So, yeah, so you and I, I, I was down there for one day during the one of the last few of the Christmas tree walk events. Yes. Or Christmas tree walk days. And I, I that evening, we had it was over 470 people that came out there, and I'd say most of them came back and checked the museum out. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Which was awesome. I don't know what, uh, what feedback you've heard from anybody out there. The only negative thing we heard was uh, the vehicles are a little dirty. It's an off-road museum. Yeah, that's what they're for. <laughs> they're yeah. not dirty because they're dusty. They're yeah. dirty because they're, you know, like we got Ed Sandrail. Yeah, it's covered it's in mud. <laughs> and I actually, I had more comments that people loved that. Oh, okay. You know, they see it's real. It's used, and that's yeah. one in particular. You know, there's an older gentleman there looking at. Uh, it was actually my commando, my grandpa's commando. Mm-hmm. He's talking to him about it. And he goes, "Yeah, this reminds me of the old farm jeep. I love it." Like that's Perfect. that's what it was. I love it. Yeah, no. Um, uh, to date, we've had over thirty four hundred people go through the whew. Christmas walk, and unlike last year, where the museum was pretty much unknown because we had opened during the Christmas walk, that mm-hmm. was our grand opening. Uh, majority of people are going through it now. Yeah, and so I would say that you know probably close to at least three thousand people have gone through the museum. During the Christmas walk event, which is awesome, yeah. um, we're getting lots of people signing up their emails, their for newsletters. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this: there's a couple pictures we've both been posting. Well, I only posted the one picture on the Mora page, and I apologize. I don't remember your guy's name. I know I talked to you about this show, so if you're listening, hello, thank you for coming out again. Is that the family in front of the yep. sandrail? Yeah, cool. we got a picture. You know, some kids sitting in the sandrail taking pictures. They absolutely loved it. All the kids took a turn sitting there playing with the steering wheel. Yeah, it was really cool. Very so I'm cool. I'm glad you guys came out and enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, man, I I got nothing else tonight except for going over to our end of the trail episode. Uh, do you got anything else? No, I'm thirsty, so I'm okay with that. You do what you need to do. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and have a good one, everybody.